Greetings all. Welcome to another episode of The Courageous Path, a podcast where I, Rachel Horton White, interview people that I find courageous and inspiring. You can find The Courageous Path on iTunes and on SoundCloud where you can follow and or subscribe. And to find me, you can find me at soulfulworkconsulting.com. Today, I am delighted to share an interview with a man named Robert Atkinson, who I had the pleasure of meeting several months ago and have connected with him and his words of incredible transformation, enlightenment, and um, wisdom that I am excited to share with you today. Robert Atkinson, PhD, is an internationally acknowledged authority on life story interviewing and a pioneer in the deeper techniques of personal myth-making and soul-making. His books in these areas have been translated into three languages and are widely used in personal growth and life review settings. His most recent book, Mystic Journey, Getting to the Heart of Your Soul's Story, 2012, was called, quote, an exquisite exploration of the spiritual craft of soul-making, end quote, by Gene Houston, author of A Mythic Life. Of his memoir, Remembering 1969, Searching for the Eternal and Changing Times, Thomas Moore, author of Care of the Soul, said it was, quote, profound, friendly, inspiring, and nostalgic. I loved it, end quote. His other books include Songs of the Open Road, The Poetry of Folk Rock, and The Journey of the Hero, The Teenage World, Adolescent Self-Image in Ten Countries, The Gift of Stories, Practical and Spiritual Applications of Autobiography, Life Stories, and Personal Myth-Making, The Life Story Interview, The Beat of My Drum, an Autobiography with Baba Tunde Olatunji, and Latino Voices in New England. His BA is in Philosophy and American Studies from LIU Southampton, and his MA degrees are in American Folk Culture from SUNY Cooperstown and in Counseling from the University of New Hampshire. Robert Atkinson's PhD is in Cross-Cultural Human Development from the University of Pennsylvania. He was also a postdoctoral research fellow at the University of Chicago. At the University of Southern Maine, he was the first diversity scholar in the College of Education and Human Development and a co-founding faculty of the Russell Scholars Program and the Religious Studies Minor. He was also a faculty member on the fall 2002 semester at Sea Voyage Around the World. His forthcoming book is The Story of Our Time, How We're Coming to See All Things as Interconnected and will be released during the winter of 2017. Robert Atkinson is Professor Emeritus at USM, University of Southern Maine in Portland, Maine, and is the Director of Life Story Commons and can be found online at www.robertatkinson.net. That's robertatkinson.net. Enjoy this conversation with Robert Atkinson. Good afternoon, Bob. Thanks for coming here to talk with me today. Hi, Rachel. Great to be here with you. Yes, and I um, I first met you when I was doing the Pechacocha or Pechacocha or whatever people call it um, presentation, and I was lucky enough that you came up and shared with me some of your own life experiences and work um, as a writer, a professor, um, a spiritual seek- seeker, 
um, and teacher. And um, after that, we've had some conversations about uh, spiritual consciousness and um, the wisdom that you're sharing from your own life with the world in many different ways. So um, you've had a fascinating life and I'd love to hear more about some of the experiences in your life that have most shaped you and who you are today. That's always a great uh, place to start. Um, and I could start with my young adulthood or I could even go back to my childhood probably to make it uh, clear enough and, and uh, context-wise. Um, <clears throat> I should go back to my childhood, really, to start there, because I, um, I mean, I, I grew up as an only child, and so I was um, kind of naturally reflective as a young child, and I loved uh, wandering in the woods next to our home, around our home, and, and just exploring nature, that kind of thing. And then, so I was open to that from the very early years, and when my grandmother came to live with us, for the summer, um, when, I, when I was about nine years old, that was a real uh, important experience for me, even though I didn't realize that its full impact until many years later, because I, <clears throat> she was also kind of quiet and kept to herself, but I was able to, uh, the thing that was, that made the big difference was that I, was able to observe her in her, uh, with her daily spiritual practice, uh, which included reading from the Bible and in the upper room. And I just, you know, as a, <clears throat> as a nine-year-old, I was just kind of drawn to that and really didn't know why at the time. <clears throat> but uh, so I, I think it was the kind of thing where my, my soul was ahead of my mind at the mm -hmm. time. And um, mm. that, that, really intrigued me. And then um, around that same time, maybe when she was still with us, one day when I was sitting on my bed looking out the window, I had this um, voice that came to me and all, all I heard was, um, someday you will know God. Oh. And as a nine-year-old, I really had no idea what that meant, but I knew I should be on the lookout for something. Wow. And many years later, I realized that it was a metaphor um, because um, we can't really truly know God because of the uh, great mystery that God is and the unknowable essence mm -hmm. that God is. That only became clear to me many years later, but that... Mm -hmm. That really, those two experiences, a nine-year-old combined, kind of set me off on a path that I really wasn't even aware of until many years later either. Yeah. So I went, you know, did the usual things in high school, um, uh, sports and hang out with the right crowds and all those normal <laughs> kinds of things. And then it wasn't until college when I... Um, I didn't have anything practical in mind. I wanted to just study what I was most drawn to, and so I majored in philosophy, and that um, really opened the floodgates, kind of, uh, because I, and, it really, and that really turned into a passion of um, learning all I could about Eastern and Western philosophies mm -hmm. and, and the world's religions, and um, so that, that continued, that um, was a 
passion that continued beyond college and throughout my adulthood and to the present, really. Um, and then in after a first um, master's degree in American folklore, uh, I had some that provided the opportunity for me to uh, meet Pete Seeger and, and be invited to be a crew member on the maiden voyage of the Clearwater up the Hudson River yeah. the summer of 1969. And that was the, really the beginning of one thing that led to another that led to another and was all uh, the real spiritual awakening and unfolding of my young adult life at that time. So Pete became Pete Seeger became a real uh, mentor mm -hmm. to me. I worked pretty closely with him on developing an, an exhibit for mm -hmm. the sloop uh, that traveled up and down the Hudson River. Mm -hmm. And uh, I lived in a cabin in the woods just down the hill from where he lived at that time. And, and uh, again, continued my exploration of nature and, 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 and the world's religions. And, but I couldn't stay in that cabin through the winter because it wasn't winterized and all I had was a, a little fireplace, you know, a fireplace. And so I had to leave and down the road of ways from there was a, a Franciscan monastery. And so I went there one day and asked if there was any way for me to stay there temporarily in between, you know, while I found another place. And the, the guardian father was another key figure who just uh, opened the doors to the monastery to me and actually ended up giving me a cell of my own in the, in the Franciscan monastery. So I, and I ended up staying there nine months, way longer than I ever yeah. thought I would. But that was another uh, opening kind of experience for me of, of being able to live with and observe the friars in their daily practice and routine. And so I heard I heard chanting going on from in, in my cell, you know, nearby and all those wonderful things that, that really um, drew me into the whole mm. great mystery even, even more. Mm. And then one day that, that winter, while I was staying at the monastery, I went into New York City, which wasn't very far away, and I was wandering along 8th Street and uh, stopped at the 8th Street books store, bookshop, and, a, and a, there was a book in the window that drew me in. So I went in, inside the store to find it, and I found the book, I took it off the shelf, started reading it, and then I, after a few minutes of browsing through the book, I looked up at the bulletin board right in front of me, and there was a poster on the bulletin board announcing a talk that evening by Joseph Campbell, whose book I was holding in my oh, hands wow. reading. Wow. And I Amazing. knew in that instant without even thinking about it, and, and with the time, I had just, just enough time to walk over a few blocks over from there to go to his talk. Mm. And that's what I did um, without any hesitation or thinking about it. It was one of those um, um, moments of truth that we have in our lives that, that we have to, you know, before we even have time to think about it, we have to, we usually, I think, tend to know how to respond to those intuitively yeah. without putting a lot of um, effort into it's like it. like a and, message yeah. for you, yeah. So that's what I did, and I got there a few minutes early and sat in the front of this 
huge hole that I didn't even realize it was totally filling up all around me and behind me and mm. sat there listening to him talk and it was one of those kinds of talks where I, I immediately felt like I was the only person in the room he was talking directly. Everything he had to say was meant for you to directly hear. Yeah. for me and because it turned out that what he was talking about was um, a way of understanding the mythological journey of the hero mm -hmm. and at the same time um, being able to relate it to our own lives, our own life experiences. Mm -hmm. And so the pattern was one that became, that was when I first became aware of it and to hear him describe it in person and, and to be able to recognize that he was describing a pattern that I was kind of in the middle of at that time. And without knowing what my next steps were going to be or, or anything like that, I knew that I was in the midst of this really meaningful uh, pattern, which is which really describes a, uh, a pattern of transformation. Yes. And, and so after his talk, I waited around until everybody said their hellos and, and everything, and I went up and introduced myself and told him how important what he had to say was and um, it's, uh, just without a lot of more detail there, he was very open and receptive to me at that, which was, you know, that was actually 1970, which was long before he became really famous from the Bill Moyers series. Mm -hmm. So he was, um, and he was, uh, he was a uh, a professor at Sarah Lawrence University mm -hmm. then, and, and so he was very open to um, talking further with me about things uh, related to that, and I took him up on his offer, and uh, we kept in touch, and I visited him a couple times in his Greenwich Village home, and, and um, so that was my early, mid-20s when two key people really came into my life at the perfect time and became became mentors for me. Not only in what they said, the things they said, but but the way they uh, lived their lives, their their deeds. You know, it was it was more than words; it was their deeds as well that I mm -hmm. could could um, recognize from the way they not only treated me but everyone else mm -hmm. around. So they were really key to my uh, to to keep. Um, helping me to become even more focused yeah. on the path that I was already on at that time. And <clears throat> so that, so another uh, few years kind of went along and uh, my, my adventures continued in other ways. And then I uh, eventually a few years after that, got a second master's in counseling and then my doctoral work at, uh, did at Penn in Philadelphia. And <clears throat> And then I did um, some postdoctoral work at University of Chicago, and then um, after the postdoc, I um, had been prior to that. I had been living in the Seacoast, New Hampshire area, and and Southern Maine area, and wanted to come back to that area. And when I applied for a, faculty position after my postdoc, the only 
university that had an opening at that time in my field was the University of Southern Maine. So that worked huh. out pretty well. You and, here. <laughs> and I was uh, very glad to be able to come back to this area. But but meanwhile, all of that time, my, my own personal study of the world's religions and mythology continued. Mm. And <clears throat> along the way, I had some other experiences, um, <clears throat> including um, this was actually part of one of the um, sloop experiences back in 70. I, we stopped at a number of towns along the river for sloop festivals. Mm -hmm. And, and um, there were a lot of, it was, you know, like a, a real celebration and a festival where a lot of, of booths and everybody had their things out to show everybody else. And mm -hmm. at one of those booths, at one of those festivals, I picked up a uh, pamphlet on the Baha'i faith and mm -hmm. didn't really, that was the first I had heard of it then. And I put it away as kind of a bookmark in one of the books I was reading. Mm -hmm. um, the book happened to be, um, uh, Houston Smith's um, Religion of Man, I think, and uh, and so it was there. And every once in a while, I would read it over, and but it was it was a few years after that that, and I was living in another part of the country when I actually met some Baha'is and they, uh, you know, around my age and they were, um, they invited me to come to meetings and their study groups and that kind of thing. And so I began then reading more directly and more focusedly on the, 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 the writings of the Baha'i faith of Baha'u'llah and Abdul Baha'u'llah. <clears throat> and, um, the first book that I read was probably the most mystical of the of Baha'u'llah's writings. Mm. It was called The Seven Valleys. Mm. And that's what um, convinced me right away that, um, that Baha'u'llah was the, is the prophet of, of our age. And, um, and then I, um, from there, I kept pursuing that on a personal level. and. Mm. Also, at the same time, my, uh, my academic um, pursuits and, and, and my career, my academic career began here at the University of Southern Maine. And, and as I started teaching courses on human development, I knew that I wanted to integrate as much as possible the whole area of spiritual development as well. So I did that, and it was also um, it was also a cross-cultural human development approach that I took, yeah. multicultural and multi-faith approach to. You've done that quite well from what I've seen. <laughs> and so that's what I what I did um, for the next uh, after I came to USM for the next uh, 27 or so years and mm -hmm. but the first year that I was there was when I realized that I also wanted to be able to try to do something with stories that I had long been interested in and working with 
have all kinds of stories from folklore to, to mythology to sacred stories. And it also happened that my master's thesis and my doctoral dissertation were both on life stories of mm -hmm. people that I interviewed. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to be able to continue that in some way after I came to USM. Mm -hmm. And that worked out really well. I was able to uh, create what was then called the Center for the Study of Lives and is now the uh, Life Story Commons. Mm -hmm. So over those years... At USM, it's still at USM today. Well, it's technically it's still at USM, but it's also in the process of of being um, sort of spun off okay. right now. And and I'm in the. It's a little a little early to say for sure, but there is something in the works that um, I will, I'll know more yeah. about by the fall or okay. sometime during the fall, where mm -hmm. where actually a local um, um, tech company mm -hmm. has expressed some real interest in in uh, helping to build out the platform, the, the, the digital platform for an archive and, and uh, larger um, toolbox mm -hmm. <clears throat> for storytelling, for life storytelling. So that, yeah, that's in the works and um, I hope to have something more definite to say about that in the, in the fall. Mm -hmm. um, but over those years, um, my graduate students did life story interviews as part of the coursework, and um, about about half of the life stories that were done for my classes were um, people signed a release form for, it, so they they were able to come into the archive mm -hmm. and. Uh, in the when was that the mid or late. Nine, probably the late 90s, um, they started going online and, and we had, a, by probably the late 90s, early 2000s, there was a, uh, we had a interactive format to the website where people could search and read and study or whatever they wanted to do with the life stories. So over those years, we've had around 300, a little more than 300 life stories wow, that, have, that have become part of that part of that archive. Oh. And so, yeah, and, and then more recently, I started expanding my, after I um, kind of established who I was and what I was doing at USM, I was able to bring in even more of the spiritual development piece, and then, and so that um, eventually led to my uh, 2012 book, Mystic Journey, yes. getting to the heart of your soul story. Mm -hmm. So what that was about was um, extending, expanding the context and the framework of a life story from basically womb to tomb to to conception through eternity, oh, when you look at it, when you look at it from the soul's perspective, multiple lifetimes in that sense. Well, it could, depending on <laughs> one's <clears throat> beliefs, mm -hmm. <clears throat> it could be multiple lifetimes or mm -hmm. or one continuous eternal lifetime. Uh -huh. And so that that really, you know, if you if you start to look at 
your own life story from that eternal perspective, mm -hmm. it really changes everything and it shifts how you see and understand you, you know, early childhood experiences, adolescent experiences, everything changes when you see your, your own life story in the context of, of eternity. Mm -hmm. And that's what my book, Mystic Journey, was trying to do. Um, and uh, there are some tools that are helpful to do that along with the um, every every spiritual and religious tradition has its own mystical branch yes. of writers and yes. thinkers and so that I drew a lot from there as well as the um, the one study that did pull all those together a book by Evelyn Underhill called, called Mysticism mm. was very helpful <clears throat> in adapting what she was reporting all of the mystics saying about about the journey of the soul um, to the context of an individual life story. And the other uh, key tool for that um, storytelling based on the journey of the soul was the book I referred to earlier, the, the, uh, the Seven Valleys of Baal. <clears throat> it starts out with the Valley of Search and goes on. So um, there, there, are, there are about as many um, good tools out there for what I'm now calling soul-making or the journey of the soul mm -hmm. as there are for um, birth-to-death life storytelling. Mm -hmm. I'm wondering if this is so fascinating to me. I know there are people who um, sometimes wonder why they the same patterns happen in their lives or why certain, you know, they, they're experiencing something they can't quite understand. And, and often some people look into past life regression and, and, you know, what something that has happened in a different life, which I believe in multiple lifetimes. But um, I am wondering if that's kind of what you're referring to is people looking at their, um, how do I say this in a way that resonates with everybody because not everybody necessarily believes that, but looking at things that may have happened through their soul, their the existence of their soul, which in my perspective, as I said, I believe, you know, things, is there a karma? Is something that happened in your in a different life is now affecting you in this life? And is there something to be resolved there? Is that kind of what you're getting at? It could be depending on the individual belief that, that a person has. <clears throat> if you're thinking along those lines, if you have that belief, then this could be very helpful mm -hmm. to put um, previous lives or past lives in in uh, uh, maybe a little different kind of framework. Or even from the perspective of self-actualization, you know, that you, we come yeah. to learn different lessons and we try to, and the hero's journey, which yeah, is there's fascinating. A, there's a real strong parallel between the journey of the hero and the journey of the soul. Yes. Both of them are based on, built upon the same motifs and archetypes, basically. Yes. And, <clears throat> and, um, and interestingly enough, both of them kind of end up with the same outcome or, or giving the person the same perspective. So just to make that a little briefer, um, they both kind of start out with the, with a search or the call to adventure, mm -hmm. 
Um, and and without going through each one, each step or stage or valley, mm -hmm. both of those patterns or processes, journeys, end up at a place where <clears throat> the individual who completes that process comes to the realization that um, there really is nothing in this creation that's not connected to everything else. And <clears throat> that helps uh, anyone who comes to that realization recognize at the same time that, that um, uh, in the journey of the hero, especially, it's a process of returning to where you started from, as not only as a different person, but returning with the um, with the um, desire to give back to others, huh. to help others, yeah. and <clears throat> so the common and again, so the common um, result in both of those is a is a new interest in and capacity of wanting to serve others. Mm. Yeah. You can call it service to humanity or altruism or any of those good mm -hmm. terms that, that describe where we, one of the places we end up after a journey like that. Yeah, which is what many people I think view as their purpose in life, you know, to come and leave the world a little better than right. they left it. And something that just keeps coming up for me when you're talking, my background is I, I do tarot, I know tarot, and so I keep thinking about the minor and major arcana of the tarot, which is very similar to, you know, it's like these same, it's very similar to what you're talking about, um, the sense of you start with the fool who's going on an adventure, and this fool goes through this, you know, phase, at various phases in the major arcana ends up with the world, and and, and what I believe is that, much like you're saying, in tarot, people go through that same um, evolution cycles almost in their development as a mm -hmm. as a spiritual being, you know, as a or as a person. Um, uh, but I, I just so what, it's just fascinating to me that it's a similar, it's a different um, mm -hmm. tool or mechanism to express similar archetypes mm -hmm. that you were talking about. Mm -hmm. That's the really fascinating thing about um, studying world mythology and world religions. There are so many common themes and patterns. And of course, um, Jung was the one who wrote the most about the, um, the universality of archetypes. <clears throat> and, and it's not only that, that archetypes themselves are found everywhere in all the world's tr traditions, but, but the, um, uh, the, same, the same patterns and the same um, process of and and it's so that kind of brings in another element of what I've long been interested in as well is, is uh, the, the evolution of consciousness it, it, whether it's um, personal myth making or soul making it's all also about how and under what circumstances and and what is it that uh, contributes to the evolution of human consciousness on both the individual and collective level. Mm -hmm. And that's also very similar. I mean, the same mm -hmm. thing. Uh, it's a same, the same pattern, whether it's on the personal level or the collective mm -hmm. level, that they mirror each other, mm -hmm. you know, which comes from the, 
one of the uh, sayings of the perennial philosophy, as above, so below. Yes. Uh, and, that, and I think, you know, I talk about that a lot as well. I think about that, and I believe that my work is about um, evolving human consciousness as well. And I think I'm just wondering if what you're referring to is our realizing more and more that we're all connected and that, we, and that we're connected to higher source, but it's within all of us and, and, and in a sense of evolving, is it that we're going through the process of understanding that's who we are? Um, here, I guess my question is, is that, is that what you're thinking as well? Yeah, yeah, we're definitely going through that sure. process and it's becoming yeah. more evident today with all the things going on in the world today, yes. crises and everything else, <clears throat> it's becoming more evident that um, not only something is happening, something's going on, but that it's becoming clearer what really is going on. And, and for me, what I've been able to, uh, you know, where my lifelong interest in the study of world's religions and, and mythology have led me is to, to uh, uh, you know, eventually being able to get a better sense of the big picture and where, th where things have come from, where they're leading. And so in my next book, which really is about the evolution of human consciousness, um, what I'm, one of the um, frameworks that I'm starting out with is that when we do take the big picture look at the evolution of human consciousness, we can recognize that we can recognize that there are three phases to that process. And it's been a long uh, few millennial process. But going so going way back, first um, the first wisdom traditions were from the indigenous peoples mm -hmm. from, from every continent. And what we know still today about the indigenous wisdom traditions, sacred traditions, is that they have certain um, common qualities and beliefs and, and views of the world. Mm -hmm. And, and uh, if anyone is familiar with any of that, probably the first thing you recognize or think of is that um, they, they, as the first peoples, of this earth started out with a consciousness of oneness, mm -hmm. and that's what they've been. That's what they've. Uh, that's what they lived by for many, who knows, centuries or, or however many, and then as the human population began spreading out and encompassed the entire globe, all of these cultures and, and groups of people spread out and bumped into each other and created conflict and new problems for interacting with each other. And that brought about a very long period of living according to a consciousness of duality. And we've been living in that consciousness of duality as a species, human species, for almost as long as um, we've been here. It's been a very long time, but we can also recognize, um, I think, um, more so by the middle or the end of the uh, 19th century, mm -hmm. that um, there have been other um, indications that um, 
some and some have come from the indigenous peoples themselves who have been able to maintain and carry on that that um, innate uh, consciousness of oneness over the millennia. Mm -hmm. There have been other traditions that have begun to speak about that, and and so now we're in kind of a cusp or, or a real crucial transition phase, yeah. sh shifting from a consciousness of duality to a consciousness of oneness. And we can each, depending where we are personally, we can say that we're this far along in that process or wherever we have, wherever we think we are. But it's 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 a long process, and we're a lot of people um, do feel that we're at the uh, we're still in the uh, birthing process of that of that um, shift. Mm -hmm. But uh, so where we're where we're headed then is back to our original consciousness of oneness. Oh, that gives me so much hope. <laughs> <laughs> and um, it, it's really uh, the, the important thing to keep in mind about that, I think, is that it's not going to happen by itself right. or automatically. Mm -hmm. It's only going to happen as we, the human species today, bring it about yeah. through our uh, personal and collective activism and all kinds of ways that we have mm -hmm. to to contribute to that mm -hmm. shift mm -hmm. of consciousness. Mm -hmm. So it's definitely um, a process <clears throat> that depends totally upon mm -hmm. us. <laughs> that, and I, you know, right now, without going into politics, um, there's a lot of people that are very feel it feel like people are very afraid of some things that are happening with the presidential election and and there's almost this you know wave of, um, of I guess just doom <laughs> feeling of doom and and when I hear that I I will try to say or to you know suggest that well maybe it's really not doom <laughs> it may look like that way because of the falling off of the old structure but that we, that once we can let go of that old structure that's not where a lot of us want to be attached to, what a lot of us want to be attached to anyway, the new one can be born. Is that kind of what you're getting at? Yeah, well? de definitely. And, yeah. and I think that it's really up to each of us individually to keep in mind that it is a process that isn't just, um, I mean, hope isn't the word that you just grab onto out of the air somewhere mm -hmm. it's a it's a concept a theme that's been around forever as well i mean you can look at all the world sacred traditions it's there mm -hmm. you can look at the perennial philosophy it's there with the with the principle of inevitable progress mm -hmm. so it's a deeply ingrained spiritual principle mm -hmm. really and if we keep it in mind as such then we realize that we have a, a role in um, in continuing that mm -hmm. that um, inevitable progress, mm -hmm. um, and, and you know there are so many signs and and sources of hope these yes. days. Um, going back to, I mean, there have been so many others prior to this, but in in the mid 
19th century, the, uh, the heart of, of the revelation of Baha'u'llah was, uh, you know, I could pick out any number of quotes that kind of emphasized the, the, this point, but um, one of his statements, which was way ahead of its time, was uh, the earth is but one country and mankind its citizens. Mm. Yeah. Today, that's become almost common knowledge. With the internet, especially. Yeah, but at, and at the time it was it was um, the source of severe persecution for anybody to say something like that way back, you know, in the mid nineteenth century, mm -hmm. and still is, um, you know, mm -hmm. for for Baha'is in Iran yes, today. Yes, that's right. Yeah. Um, but that's but uh, so there's that huge source of hope. Uh, the most recent revelation of. Um, a long, long line of the prophets of God, mm -hmm. um, and you know, I mean, that's the thing is to um, keep um, keep focused on that, on that, on the potential, and that, um, and and it's also um, when you do look at the sacred traditions, each one of them. Has kind of a, in a different put in a different way. Each one of them has a built-in promise mm -hmm. of whether we want to call it world peace or a golden age or anything yeah. like that. That's built into all the great traditions. Mm -hmm. And, and um, so today, um, even though it doesn't feel like it, some days these days, uh, world peace is a promise waiting to be fulfilled. It's just a wonderful, wonderful thing for me to hear and for the, us to share with two people that are listening. Um, so I thank you for saying this. I mean, you're clearly such a, uh, you're sharing so much wisdom, which is so important and needed. And I'm glad that you're publishing it in several books. <laughs> and I know that we kind of went you're from the path of the story of your life to your books and you know I think wanted to make sure that you had a chance to share anything else about where you are in your life now which in my mind represents a hero's journey in itself you know <laughs> your your story um, that you're sharing here now so um, any other you know having said all that any words that you know about your own life or just you know guidance or advice for others that you care to leave us with? <laughs> well, there's a lot of um, options there, I guess. Yeah. But, um, <clears throat> um, and, you know, everybody's at a different place in their own life story. And um, But I think what one of the things that's important is wherever anybody is in their life story, whether they feel they've come to um, some sense of, of completion or accomplishment or whatever it might be in anyone's individual case, the story is never ending and, and it goes on. Um, we always have a, uh, we always have work to do, whatever our life circumstances are. And so it's a, it's a process of even when someone feels or 
can say for pretty for sure that they've completed the pattern of the journey of the hero or if they feel they've completed the seven valleys of the journey of the soul which mm -hmm. whatever it might be mm -hmm. there's always still more um, and yeah. it's not a, it's not about so it's it's not about coming to a point of rest or right or that's back. why we're living this human life yeah <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. So we've all—it's a matter of finding, um, you know, sometimes the ways in which we can be uh, of service or contribute to the greater whole shifts and changes a bit. But it's always that—that that one piece is ongoing. Mm -hmm. I kind of, and what I—it's really amazing that you're the, the, the metaphor of valley, because when I talk to people I work with, I say. It's not that we're climbing the mountain and we're getting to the top of the mountain. It's that we're climbing the mountain range and then maybe reaching a new plateau and then another mountain range and then another plateau. And I don't, that in my mind, that's kind of how I view my life uh, as the peaks and valleys. Because you know, you're learning, but you're always, there are always more learning to be done. <laughs> but it, but um, reaching that place of just knowing that. It's a lot. You're aligned with what you're here to do. It's a really a beautiful thing for me, at least. So. Thank you. Well, thank you so much, Bob. Uh, Bob Atkinson, just been such a blessing to talk with you. Thank you.